0: In this edition of Human Eyes, I'm honored to host one of the people I most admire in the public sphere. Johnny Erickson Tata is an artist, an international humanitarian, a disability rights activist, a Christian evangelist, and a defender of the sanctity and equality of all human life, not just in the comfort of the United States, but around the world, including in places of extreme poverty and societal discord. Tata was paralyzed from the shoulders down in a swimming accident in 1967. During her two years of rehabilitation, according to her autobiography, Johnny, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubts. However, during occupational therapy, she learned to paint with a brush between her teeth and began selling her artwork. The rest, as the cliche goes, is history. To date, Tata has written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, and starred in an autobiographical movie of her life and is an advocate for people with disabilities. She founded Johnny and Friends in 1979, an organization to accelerate Christian ministry in the disability community throughout the world. In 2007, The Johnny and Friends International Disability Center in Agoura Hills, California was established, which runs a multifaceted nonprofit covering a number of program outlets. The longest-running program is Johnny and Friends Radio, a four-minute radio program begun in 1982 that can be heard each weekday on over 1,000 broadcast outlets. She's been married to Ken Tata for 32 years. I could go on and on, but the introduction would consume all of the time we have for our conversation. Johnny, welcome to Humanize. Oh,
1: it's so good to be with you, Wesley. And oh my goodness, I'm I'm exhausted just listening to you read that list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, look at what you've done.
1: (laughs) Well, I'd have to add one uh, correction there. My husband and I are coming up on 40 years of math. Oh, my
0: gosh. I guess I'm bad at math. (laughs) Not at all. That's wonderful. Good to be with you. That's just wonderful. You know, one of the great virtues of American life, it seems to me, is the ability of individuals to break through and bring great improvements to society. You did that after you were injured. Tell us a bit about how you were able to get past your depression and move on to a new life as an artist and a public activist.
1: Great question, Wesley. And I wish we had five hours to discuss that. But in a nutshell, I will simply say that uh, I had caring and supportive family and wonderful friends who shared my life values. Um, I was at a place when I was first injured where I could have succumbed so easily to um despairing thoughts, wanting to die. My life is not worth living. But, um, and who knows if uh, a physician assisted suicide were legal back in the 1960s, maybe um, I would have succumbed to the lore of all that. But uh, over time, I began to learn how truly good one's quality of life uh, can be with a disability. So I credit a great family. Um, and that shows, I think, Wesley, how important it is to come alongside people who receive um, life transforming uh, medical diagnoses and and just don't abandon them, love them, support them. And and here's a key phrase, cast a vision for that person when he or she is too weak uh, to cast it for himself. And I had friends say, Johnny, you can go to college. Johnny, I'd be happy to talk with your faculty advisor to get you a note taker. Uh, Johnny, I realized that the science building isn't accessible. Uh, this was before the ADA, long before it. So let's, t- let's talk to the administration. I mean, I had people who were very good advocates. And when I saw the advantages that I had with supportive family, caring friends, good advocates, and I witnessed the plight of other people with disabilities in that rehab center who languished long, lack of help who were demoralized who did not have the opportunities that i was enjoying i i wanted to take this sense of uh how can i put it privilege i don't know i I wanted to not sit on it but optimize it so that other people like me spinal cord injured quadriplegics and others with varying disabilities uh, might be able to have access to the same benefits that I was enjoying.
0: Um, two two words came to mind as I was listening to you. One is inclusion and the other is love. And I guess a third would be a, an anti-word, not abandoning. So you were put into people's arms and helped carry through a time of darkness until you got to the other side. And that makes all the difference. It strikes me that too often people think, well, you know, we'll just put people off in a corner or people will, are afraid that that's what will happen to them. And that leads to the kind of despair that you were discussing. Absolutely.
1: Wesley, just two days ago, um, my local hospital uh, called me and asked me to please come uh, and visit a young woman who had been become spinal cord injured in a um, a tragic automobile accident. Um, So I quick got in the van, went over to the hospital and the administrator introduced me to her, brought her out in the lobby. Uh, She was in a big bulky wheelchair. This woman was unmarried with two children, uh, did not necessarily share my life values, um, uh, did not have a place to reside after being released from that hospital. So the hospital was working hard to find a caring and supportive a care center in which she could uh, be transferred but Wesley the hour that I spent well, it was two hours that I spent with her at least 20 minutes of that time was just spent weeping yeah just silently sitting next to her and I said to her Heather I just want you to know I feel the weight the, the, the tragic weight of what you've been through and it breaks my heart and so we cried together yeah and when I left, she said a curious thing to me. She said, you have helped me more than anybody else. And Wesley, I hardly did anything but just empathize, identify, uh, listen, sit, be quiet, open my heart, and weep. Yeah. And sometimes that's all we need to do right. with people who have been hit hard with a, with a life-changing uh, accident or
0: illness. You know, the uh, definition of compassion, the root meaning, is to suffer with and what you're just describing is the kind of compassion and empathy that we all should have for each other.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes uh, we think or we're reticent to get involved in the life of, let's say, someone who has, uh, I don't know, maybe birth of a child with a significant disability, multiple disabilities. Uh, we just are afraid it's going to require too much of our time or drain us of too much energy. But we would be surprised how The smallest of gestures, when offered in sincerity um, and with a a, a true heart to help, uh, can make all the difference. The smallest of gestures.
0: Let's get back to to your story. Did you paint before you were injured?
1: Oh, if you had gone to high school with me, Wesley, I would have drawn your senior picture for $5. (laughs) That was about the extent of my my artistic talent. But yes, I I was a bit of an artist. My father was a, a painter by hobby. And so um, I picked up a lot of tips from him. And when I had my diving accident in 1967, which left me a quadriplegic, my occupational therapist was the one who said, here, let me put this pencil in your mouth. Try drawing something on this, uh, on this uh, table tablet. And of course, I spit the pencil out on the floor yeah. because I didn't want to become like those other people. I'm not going to stay handicapped. I'm going to get healed. I'm going to get out of this rehab center. And don't be thinking that I'm that limited. Uh, To me, it was terribly demeaning. But then, uh, about a week later, they wheeled into the occupational therapy lab. A young man named Tom, who was about my age, he had uh, suffered a catastrophic spinal cord injury in a motorcycle accident. And he was far more disabled than I was. I could at least shrug my shoulders, move my biceps a bit, flail my arms. But this young man sat in his big bulky wheelchair, all stiff and rigid, only able to turn his head left and right slightly. And I watched my occupational therapist walk up to him and giving him the same spiel that she had given me. And I, I'm thinking, yeah, Tom, spit that pencil out. But then I watched him grip it with his teeth. And on that table tablet, easel, she, He began to just write the alphabet per her instructions. And I... I sat back and I was, I was ashamed of myself. I felt so embarrassed because this young man was demonstrating such courage and resiliency. And immediately it, 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 it was a, a glaring signal that I lacked those virtues. Wow! And I was neither compassionate nor was I very courageous. So he kind of led the way for me just by his simple and uh, positive example.
0: It's interesting. We never know how we're going to affect people uh, even just going about our daily lives. And he, he was uh, moving on to the next step in his process. And and, and he may not even know that he, what he did for you.
1: Absolutely. There are all kinds of ways we can express our, uh, our pro-life position. Uh, it's, it's not just at the ballot box, um, but it is certainly in the everyday uh, moments of life, in the rhythms of life, when we encounter someone who's lacking hope. And if we can offer <laughs> it, that's wonderful.
0: I'm, I'm real interested because I, I looked uh, in preparing for our conversation. I went up online and I looked at all your art, which I'd seen some before. And they're really beautiful um, uh, landscapes. And then there's um, uh, some religiously themed uh, work. And it's all um, with delicate colors and, and quite lovely. And then I, I thought, well, good grief. You know, a lot of the art we see today that's really notable isn't that. It's a lot of the art we see today is, is really somewhat ugly. Why do you think that is, or do you agree with me?
1: Oh, I agree entirely. Um, When we, when we um, extricate uh, the ultimate designer, the the God of the universe, you can call it divine intelligence, whatever. I mean, when, when we take God out of the picture, um, when we we don't create things that are beautiful. I mean, God does things with great beauty, order, simplicity, design, loveliness, and it resonates with our um, higher higher virtues, so to speak. We are enthralled. We are elevated. We we are lifted up above ourselves. We get a vision of something. Far greater than what we see on Earth, and and we respond to that. It's beautiful, but when we take God out of the picture, we we create uh, crucifixes in bottles of urine. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 sad how quickly um, we can spiral downward when we um, I don't know. You've often said this: create man in man's image, and you can even do that on a painting.
0: That's interesting. It sounds as if uh, your faith came back to you through your art, and then that affected your art? Is that, is that what I'm hearing?
1: Well, Wesley, again, this would take a long time to answer in a nutshell, but let me just say 10 words that changed my life. And they are extra biblical words. They are not from the Bible, but 10 little words a friend shared with me that uh, lifted my spirits and got me on the right path. And it's. It's this phrase, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And real quickly, I think we saw that uh, even when God permitted uh, his own son, Jesus, to go to the cross, it was, it was a horrific thing. It involved torture, treason, murder, injustice. And we think, how can any of that be God's will? However, um, the thing that God hated, the crucifixion, ended up opening the door to the world's salvation. And we learn what the true meaning and definition of love is by looking at the life of Christ. And my friend said, Johnny, it's the same way with you. Ain't nothing good about a spinal cord injury. There's no inherent goodness in multiple sclerosis, ALS, osteogenesis imperfecta, um, muscular dystrophy. I mean, these these things these things are a result of living in a, in a broken world, tainted by man's rebellion, initial rebellion against God. But he said, even though God might hate your spinal cord injury, like, like what happened at the cross, he's gonna use that to do something amazingly good in your life and, and through you. So God permitted what he hated, my spinal cord injury, to accomplish something that he loved. And that was, of course, turning a headstrong, stubborn, rebellious kid like me into a young woman who could uh, demonstrate something of courage, patience, endurance, perseverance compassion for others who hurt and honestly Wesley wouldn't have happened had I never had this diving accident.
0: That's that's interesting I was I was debating whether to ask you this. Uh, did you know Mark O'Brien? Mark, Mark O'Brien, O'Brien. Uh, was a, a man, a uh, friend of mine. he lived in Berkeley. He, he's our age he was our age. He got polio at age six and he lived his entire life from age six practically in an iron lung. And yet, he became uh, a, a world-renowned uh, journalist, poet. There was a, a documentary made about his life called yes. "Breathing Lessons." Yes, yes, yes. And, now I remember. Uh, which Mark. won a uh, an Academy Award. He was a good friend of mine, and I interviewed him for my book "Culture of Death," and I asked him a difficult question, uh, which you just raised in my head, and that is, I said, "Look, look at all you've accomplished, Mark. I mean." who knows whether any of this would have happened except for your polio. I said, what does that make you think? And he, and he got very emotional. He said, I would have been a custodian was the term he used that nobody ever heard of not to have polio. That's one way of looking at things and certainly understandable. The other is, seems to me the way you're looking at it, and you're you're saying well, okay, this is what I have. I'll thank God for it, and then I'll move on and use that uh, for good purposes. A- am I reading that correctly?
1: Probably are. And uh, now that you mentioned Mark's name, he was a good friend of Ed Roberts, who was my associate when we were working on the ADA um, up in Berkeley. That group of which Mark was one uh, are credited as the uh, the um, the genesis of the. Uh, independent living movement for Americans with disabilities. That's a lot was happening in Berkeley back in the sixties. But yeah, there are all kinds of ways. There are all kinds of pathways. I think that people move forward, but I think the one, the one quality that um, we all share, uh, whether we have uh, a journey of faith or not is hope. Yes. Hope is a precious commodity. And in this world, which is so dark, so divided, uh, full of hopelessness and despair on the rise, um, suicide on the rise. Um, people are hungry for hope. Yes. So, and, Wesley, and I'm excited about any message that gets out there to instill hope within people's hearts. That's
0: correct. And, and Mark was a faithful Catholic, but he just had that, you know, he had that very emotional thought. Um, how, how was it that you then decided to move from artist- into disability rights advocacy and, and establishing uh, Johnny and Friends?
1: Well, it was back in the early 1980s. I was taking a flight from Los Angeles to my home in Baltimore, and I was reading a newspaper account of a, uh, an incident that had occurred in the state of Indiana. Forgive me, I cannot remember all the details. It's been so many years. But it was a, a young infant with Down syndrome who was allowed to starve to death. Mm in the hospital, uh, parents' consent, doctors' advice, and state-supported.
0: I think that's the baby go case.
1: Right. And, of course, the Supreme Court addressed that, thankfully, uh, years later. Well, not too many years later. But it's, it so alarmed me, reading that newspaper account. And I thought, oh, my goodness, then all of us with disabilities are at risk. Not just this infant with Down syndrome. We're all at risk because when you begin eroding the rights of the most weak among us, then all of us um, who think ourselves not so weak, our lives are in jeopardy as well. So I began doing a little bit of research. And of course, around that time, I was also working on the Americans with Disabilities Act and its passage in Congress. And uh, it didn't take long for me to see that that uh, our country and was, was heading down a uh, an, uns- an unfortunate path, a path of destruction, and we needed to uh, make certain that there were tighter safeguards to protect. Um, I remember when I was serving on the National Council of Disability, I'll share this story real quickly. Um, this was, wow, well, this was like 35, 38, nine years ago. Um, our council responded vehemently to a, a report from the National Institutes on Health, which listed abortion as a disability prevention strategy, and all 15 bipartisan council members strongly advised the NIH to remove any reference which used abortion as a tactic in eliminating disability. And that, that was just, that was less than a generation ago. And yet now um, our states are can't wait to outpace each other in eradicating uh, certain disabilities through abortion.
0: I call that, a, and, especially for people with Down syndrome and dwarfism, search and destroy mission. Uh, and uh, it's really shameful that Iceland uh, has bragged that yep. that no babies are born with Down syndrome because of that search and destroy mission. And, and to me, we're the losers because people with, down syndrome are the most loving, sweet, gentle people you'll ever want to meet, and when Absolutely. when they are removed from society, it hurts society. I mean, we talk so much about inclusion, and yet here we are wanting to wipe this gentle people off the face of the earth. It's really shameful.
1: Well, when we take um, absolutes, uh, moral absolutes, uh, when we extricate them out of the discussion, then uh, everything's up for grabs, and um, I mean, I'm thinking of people with disabilities, Down syndrome, those with Down syndrome, you're you're right, they're arguably the most contented and happy people on the planet. And from them, we learn unconditional love and acceptance for others who uh, appear different. Um, And I look at uh, even assisted suicide legislation in Canada, where where people with disabling conditions who are despairing of their lives, sometimes newly diagnosed, uh, they don't have time to adjust or they don't want to be a financial burden, or they uh, think they're going to become a caretaking burden. Um, They're choosing assisted death uh, based on um, information that's just so premature.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, we give suicide prevention to teenagers as we should, uh, to veterans as we should. And yet if somebody has uh, a disabling condition or, or, or cancer, Instead of saying, okay, we can find another way, let's provide suicide prevention, we f- provide suicide facilitation. The message sent by that dichotomy is quite strong.
1: You just said the right word dichotomy. It's a double standard. When, um, let's say, a, a homeless mother who is without a job and has, has thoughts of suicide, of course we're going to give her um, suicide counseling prevention. But if that same individual um, has a disability, and is struggling with homelessness and is out of job, we, we just might suggest that uh, that you know, assisted suicide might be a viable option for
0: them. And let's, and, let's um, put in organ harvesting for uh, as a plum to society. Yeah. I mean, it's it really yeah. does g- go into dark places. But I don't want to spend time talking about that. I want to talk about Johnny and Friends, Wheels <laughs> for the World. That's probably your most famous program. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, again, real quickly, Wesley, I have been blessed so much. I have a wheelchair. I have a husband. I have a job. I I uh, have a comfortable home. And um, and I just can't sit on those blessings. If I have been so blessed, then I'm going to squeeze every ounce of effort out of my paralyzed body that I possibly can to pass on the blessing to others. And one way of doing that is um, distributing um, terrain-appropriate Rugged, sturdy pediatric wheelchairs for children with disabilities in developing nations. We just distributed our 200,000th wheelchair. Wow. And um, with that, we connect the family with uh, community supports and caring churches for which we have um, um, accomplished disability ministry training so that congregational members embrace these families and do not assume that they are cursed by the local witch doctor or shaman or. And they have bad karma. I mean, we, we try to land a, a, a hand grenade and, and, and to blow to smithereens those, those myths and misconceptions about
0: disability. So it seems to me wheelchair the, opens the, way. the beneficence that that program has offered can't be quantified. I mean, it's just uh, 200,000 wheelchairs to people who might otherwise have been left to sit in a corner and who can go yeah, and, out and live their lives.
1: Yeah, and it's not just a transactional um Arrangement. It's transformational because we just don't drop off the wheelchairs and go home to the United States. We make an in country investment. We find the disability advocates in that country who are working hard on behalf of their own uh, people with disabilities and we provide ongoing training to them. Um, We are establishing something called Johnny's House. Um, Right now we have Johnny's Houses in El Salvador, Nepal, Uganda. Uh, Ukraine. And we've got uh, one in Brazil in the works. And and these are places where people with disabilities can come uh, to not only have their wheelchair serviced and repaired, but learn job skills training, uh, micro enterprise opportunities, learn skills of advocacy uh, that they can uh, use as tools to, um, to create a new culture of acceptance and inclusion in their country. So, um, our ministry does everything we can to make, as I said, in-country investments and not not do a, a transactional gift of a wheelchair, but do something that's transformational, not just for the family, but for the community. And we're praying even for these nations.
0: Oh, that's just, that's just terrific. We're beginning to run short on time. So if people want to learn more about these and other programs of uh, Johnny and Friends, there will be a link uh, on this podcast beneath it so people can go to your website Uh, I I want to talk just about a couple of other things before we have to go. You know, you're a very faithful and optimistic person, and I looked through some of your quotes. This one really struck me. He has chosen not to heal me but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. That's a very interesting quote, and it brings up a thought. Are you saying, when you say that, that there is value in suffering?
1: Yes, there is. Uh, We have not touched on this, but real quickly, I deal with chronic pain. Part of it is scoliosis. Part of it is living 55 years in a wheelchair. Part of it is that I'm in my 70s. But in the darkest hours at night when I cannot sleep because of pain and I dare not wake my husband up for the third time to turn me, again, I'm paralyzed. I cannot reposition myself in bed. I will picture this pain as though it were a fiery furnace. And I often think of that Bible story in the Old Testament about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were in the fiery furnace, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he saw a fourth one as the Son of Man, he called him, walking with those three amidst that fire. And I often think, I'm not going to fight this pain. I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to panic about it. I'm going to talk to it and say, you will not crush me. The Bible tells me in Second Corinthians chapter 4 that though i pressed it on all sides i am not crushed you cannot you will not crush me so i'm going to breathe deeply i'm going to recite scriptures poems uh, stanzas of hymns hopeful songs and i know i'm going to meet my god in the middle of this by learning more patience perseverance and a deeper empathy for other people who hurt like i do and that ability to not resist pain but squeeze something good out of it by uh, yielding to it and breathing into it and embracing it rather than resisting it. I think I'm experiencing uh, in that almost a a divine transaction, as it were. The more I yield in my suffering, the more grace I receive, and uh, it transforms my life, Wesley. I don't want to be the same Johnny I was yesterday. I want to keep changing and becoming the Johnny that I think God wants me to be. And, and right now we're using chronic, chronic pain to do just that.
0: Wow. Well, what is your message to people with disabilities who may not have your faith?
1: Well, I would suggest that uh, when they wake up in the morning and life seems too hard, too overwhelming, take a deep breath and say, I can't do this. I just can't do it, but God, and uh, I don't know how you want to address that, in his name, but um, reach out and say, God, I can do all things to you if you strengthen me. The Bible has this interesting Old Testament quote from the book of Isaiah that says, Let him who walks in darkness and who does not have a single ray of light, let him reach out for the hand of God and trust him. Such simple advice. And I don't think there's anyone with a disability who's, quote, got it all together. I certainly don't. I mean, my chronic pain drives me to my, the end of my rope almost every single night. But um, there's always somebody at the other end of that rope to catch us when we fall.
0: I don't think so any of us have it all together. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, uh, Johnny, what's next for you uh, as we end this interview?
1: Well, I am very excited, Wesley, as you are, about reaching a new generation of of thinkers, potential advocates, um, nurses, doctors, healthcare workers, students. Um, we have a marvelous internship program here at Johnny and Friends, not just for special ed majors or or physical therapist student therapy students, but for any young student who wants to wants to learn how to serve in a community where there are many special needs. And so, uh, if there are any young people listening to us, they can go to our website and check out our internship program. I'm doing everything I can, Wesley, as you are, to make solid investments in this next generation.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I hope we can talk again, Johnny. Thank you for being hope on so Humanize. I sir. Love you. Love you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. Discover all the good work of the Center on Human Exceptionalism by visiting discovery.org human. We can only do this work speaking on behalf of human life, human thriving, and our exceptional place in this world and our cosmos with your support. We invite you to make a one-time gift today and to consider starting a monthly gift to support the Center on Human Exceptionalism and this show. Wherever you're listening to Humanize, please take a moment to rate and review the show. You matter. Your actions matter. Be bold, be exceptional, and be back soon.